This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. Last Friday, the 17th of November, the board of directors of OpenAI shocked the tech world by firing then CEO and OpenAI founder Sam Altman. Soon after that, uh, then President Greg Brockman. Uh, and also co-founder of the firm, decided to quit in solidarity. We then saw Mira Murati, the company's chief technology officer, appointed as interim CEO at the time. Altman's departure follows a reported uh, deliberative review process uh, by the board, which concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with them, reportedly hindering the board's ability to exercise its responsibilities, which is the official reason that they said uh, that they no longer had confidence in Sam Altman's ability to continue leading OpenAI. Now, earlier this morning, uh, the morning run spoke with Daniel Ives from Wetbush Securities, and among other other things. Um, this is what uh, he had to say about this official reasoning coming out from the board. Yeah, I mean, like, look, whatever the official, I think it was political, personal, you know, in terms of between the board and Altman, they were feeling marginalized. And ultimately, a four-person board took down a $90 billion startup. And now <clears throat> the trophy case is in Redmond. Because Microsoft and Nadella, them swooping in and getting Altman was key to not just what happened to Microsoft stock, but in terms of the vision for AI and where it's going. I mean, the open AI board was playing at the kid's table, like eight-year-old checkers. And Nadella came in like a grandmaster chess player and ultimately won. So as you hear from uh, Dan Ives there, what happened after Sam Altman's firing from OpenAI was Microsoft came in, Satya Nadella yesterday hiring Sam Altman and his team over at Microsoft to lead AI initiatives. There are some other news is still continuing to come in because there are OpenAI investors and employees that want to see Sam Altman and go back at their firm. And uh, Microsoft has signaled that they wouldn't oppose such an outcome. But again, news is still ongoing on this. Uh, you can listen to Daniel Ives in full in his full conversation with the morning run uh, by looking up Sam Altman sacking the closure of OpenAI on the BFM app. Now today on the back of this on Enterprise Biz Bytes, we're taking a different route. We're going to explore the relationship dynamics between founders and company boards, the role that boards play and the value of a board seat during fundraising negotiations. But before we get into all that, I think there's a little bit more that we need to uh, digest here and provide a little bit more context given how many updates have come out since Friday? Because on the same day the news broke out, uh, reports uh, uh, saw that employees streamed out of the OpenAI headquarters following the internal announcement. You had on Sunday, Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, uh, both the co-founders reportedly in talks to rejoin OpenAI, but that fell through later that day. But all hope is not lost on that. There's still work apparently being done on that. And Instead of them being brought in, uh, it was confirmed yesterday that ex-Twitch boss Emmett Shear will become the new interim boss of the company that developed ChatGPT. And within hours of Emmett's appointment, we saw Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella announce on X and confirming that Microsoft had hired Sam Altman and Greg Bro- uh, Brockman, among a few others, uh, with other colleagues to lead a team conducting artificial intelligence research. So a lot of tech drama over the weekend on these developments. Uh, then 
Daniel Ives told The Morning Run that he wasn't too optimistic for OpenAI. And uh, here's what he had to say about the roles that Sam Altman and co. could play over at Microsoft. Well, they're going to run the AI initiatives. What was going to happen OpenAI now has just happened to Microsoft. Mm. So I'd say to some extent, the OpenAI structure, it could become almost a shell company. You know, as it all moves to Microsoft. And it's, I could argue it accelerates the path for AI at Microsoft with Altman, Brockman, Mir, and the whole team now at Microsoft. Now, given Dan Stone, you can understand why there are those, there are still many multiple parties looking to try and bring Sam Altman back to OpenAI. And regards, uh, with regards to the new OpenAI boss or interim boss, ex-Twitch boss Emmett Shear, Dan wasn't too optimistic about this. When they selected Shear, a third-rate Silicon Valley, you know, obviously Twitch CEO that left, I mean, I think many thought that that was a, a comedy show. So that really was the, the straw that brought the cameras back for really the ending of open AI. So look, this board, they're going to have legal issues for years to come for what they did. But essentially the winner is Microsoft. And now Microsoft almost bought a room in a house. But now because of the board's actions, they own the house. Again, if you want to listen to that full conversation uh, between Morning Run and Daniel Ives, look up the podcast Sam Altman Sacking the Closure of OpenAI over on the BFM app or on bfm.my. Now, still updates coming in today. As I mentioned earlier, investors are still trying to uh, bring back Sam Altman. We also saw employees threatening to quit following uh, the outs, uh, following Sam Altman's firing. Uh, and unless uh, we're also seeing some backlash against the board, this leaves the future of the high-profile AI startup that created ChatGPT to be very uncertain. More than 700 of the AI firm's roughly 770 employees signed a letter yesterday addressed to OpenAI's board stating that they that the signatories are unable to work for or with the people that lack competence, judgment, and care for our mission and employees. That's what was in the statement. So some context uh, background here, Microsoft owns 49% of OpenAI when they invested $13 billion in the company, but they have no direct influence over its board or directors. Um, So while it seems that Microsoft overall are the big winners here for now, um, there's a lot to say also about the $13 billion they've invested in OpenAI. Uh, there's also a lot in terms to digest over all the different things that have happened over uh, since Friday. But what this clearly highlights, at least from our perspective here at Enterprise, is the importance of the relationship between founders and their board. So today on Enterprise BizBytes, we discuss this with Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. He's also the director for the Founder Institute. We are going to explore the typical dynamics at play between founders and boards, what good communication between them should look like and what founders should know about the role and powers of boards. We'll also get into the value of a board seat during fundraising talks. You can let us know what you think over on our U-Mobile app on WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. Sorry, that's our U-Mobile number over WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. Kevin, can you hear me loud and clear? I can, I can. Thank you for having me as this... uh 
evolving story has piqued a lot of interest. It seems to be covering all of the news outlets, yeah? Everywhere, uh, everywhere, anywhere, everywhere, all at once. I think I've butchered that title a little bit, but (laughs) I think the the sentiment is there, Kevin. A lot of news, a lot of different angles, I think, that uh, coming out from this. Obviously, uh, uh, the morning run covered from the market sentiment and how Microsoft plays out to be quite a winner here if they manage to, if they keep Altman. Uh, But also, I guess, what happens with this $13 billion they've invested in OpenAI is a another question yeah. there and um, all those employees that signed that letter microsoft said the door is open whoever wants to come come on in they could they could they could win pretty handsomely yeah so a lot at stake here i guess for the future of opening eye um so i just want to get maybe your take on a lot of this right some of your um, you've been watching the news, I'm pretty sure. Can you kind of mm-hmm. see, given how prominent OpenAI has been as a startup? So what do you make of all of this? You know, the back and forth, the firing, the rehiring, the backlash? Yeah, I mean, the the, th- the thing that struck me, to be honest with you, was was one key component, which was the, was the kind of the shock nature of it, mm-hmm. where oftentimes when you look at most boards they're a little bit more deliberate. They're Mm. a little bit more focused on making sure that they're signaling into the market so that customers, stakeholders, investors are not blindsided. At least according to the reports that I saw, Satya Nadella, Microsoft, (laughs) they didn't even get the news until after it was already decided. You think $13 billion would at least buy you that, you know? <laughs> at, at, at least, like, give, give, me, give me some sort of notification, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm the one basically paying the payroll here. Uh, let, let me know what's going on. Um, and it's not fully funded, so I don't know what the terms of the contract are, but maybe there's something that mm. could end up causing a cancel to that, and the entire team just ends up getting folded under the umbrella. It seems like, from the outside that it was a snap decision and there must have been some other sort of factors that kind of pushed them. It it does not seem like the deliberation that a well-functioning board would normally take to avoid this sort of ripple effect. I mean, you're talking about a nearly $100 billion company that has become pretty, pretty, pretty important uh, as AI has basically started uh, taking over, you know, being uh, software ate the world, AI is taking over the world. Um, you know, Kevin, when I saw the news, you know, you, you talk about that shock nature. I was, mm-hmm. I, I had just reached home, I pulled up my phone, uh, just parked the car, pulled up my phone, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. I looked at this and I, was, I had read it again, I refreshed my page, I was like, no, this... <laughs> No way. This can't have happened. And I think that the, the shock nature of it, obviously I wasn't around for this, but I wonder if there are similarities to the, you know, when Steve Jobs was ousted yeah. over at Apple, right? Whether there are parallels to that, because, but I guess maybe that may have been a little bit more telegraphed. Or have we seen other situations like this in the past? I mean, with this sort of surprise, not of this notoriety, I'm sure it's happened somewhere in the world, but like it hasn't had this sort of like, uh, this this uh, this amount of notoriety and yeah the Steve Jobs instance there there was a little bit more uh, maybe not necessarily seeing that it was going to come but that it wasn't as of a of a snap sort of decision. There's a bunch of parallels that are being drawn between those two, especially when OpenAI came back around and was like, no no no, we'll take you back, please, come, <laughs> like come on come on back. It's like the it's like the Steve Jobs Apple. The TikTok version because it's, it's happening in 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 rapid su- uh, succession. 
but you know, I mean, there, there, there was also it was it was a bit of a surprise when Elon stepped away from OpenAI mm. uh, all those years ago, and that was another sort of like conflict within uh, as far as what the direction of it. I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, with, as 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 a blanket statement on on just the technology, people have some pretty strong opinions in regards to what constitutes responsible development within AI technologies. Maybe it's because they've watched the Terminator movie too many times. <laughs> Maybe it's it's too much sci-fi. I don't know. Um, but there's certainly some folks that are uh, are much more hesitant about commercialization. But when it comes down to a commercialization, funds the development. So it's 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 kind of like this chicken and egg. And I have to imagine that there were some strong personalities that that conflicted around it. As far as like the the public statement, you know. There was the same sort of public statement in regards to like um, it said that Sam, Sam Altman was it wasn't open with his mm. communication with the board. Entities always make these public statements to try and put a gloss and flair on it. When Elon left, it was oh, it's a conflict of interest with, with what, what we're doing at our, our other companies. The reality that everyone knew it was not about that. What the reality is in this situation is there's a lot of rumors flooding around. Uh, it'll take a while probably for for uh, things to get flushed out. But certainly from 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 a board standpoint, this does not seem like the signaling and operations, taking the decision aside of of removing him simply from how it was enacted and the surprise and shock that it ended up taking a little bit better signaling what probably would have been uh, a little bit more easy to digest. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit more more about the role of boards in a few minutes, Kevin. Uh, we've got to go into a few messages uh, when we come back, a little bit more about the role of boards, but also um, what happens typically when founders are no longer part of a startup this early on in its life. All this and more in a few minutes, folks, on the back of the firing of OpenAI founder Sam Altman by the OpenAI board and the subsequent hiring by Microsoft, we're exploring the typical dynamics at play between founders and boards and what founders should know about the role and powers of boards boards, among other things. Helping me with this has been Kevin Brockton, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. I'm Roshan Kennison. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Baba from Malacca. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kunison, and that was Michael Jackson with Rock With You. On the back of OpenAI's board not wanting to rock with uh, Sam Altman anymore, today on the show we are taking a look at the role of boards and the powers that they have when it comes to startups and the importance of that relationship between founders and boards. Now, for those of you who've just joined us last Friday, OpenAI's four-person board of directors fired founder and now former CEO Sam Altman. And just yesterday, Sam Altman and his team were hired by Microsoft, which owns 49% of OpenAI, but has no direct influence over its board. Earlier this morning, The Morning Run explored the news and its implications with Dan Ives from Wetbush Securities which you can find on the website and app. So here on Enterprise BizBytes, we're taking a different angle, as I mentioned earlier. Helping me with this is Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. Uh, Kevin, you still there with me? Yep, still here. So let's before we get into the role of boards, Kevin, um, 
you know, when founders leave this early or when companies lose their founders really early, if you look back to Apple, they went through some tough times during the uh, early, the late 80s and early 90s. So maybe take us through the potential implications uh, on a company like as early as OpenAI when a founder and co-founder are no longer involved with the company. Yeah, so I, I think there's a few different instances where this happens. It's, it's surprisingly, it's not entirely uncommon for a co-founder of a company to be pushed out. The ideal situation is you want the dead weight to be the one that ends up getting pushed out. You don't want like the product visionary mm. uh, to be pushed out, and I think that's the harkens back to the 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 Apple um, uh, story, where if it wasn't for him, he was he was very much of the visionary. Um, I've been in instances myself where we've had to see co-founders uh, removed out of companies just because conflict can end up happening. And when conflict between co-founders happens, it can really stagnate and harm the entirety of the organization. Not saying that that's what's happened here, but it happens a lot. Um, and there, there's there's mechanisms in order to be able to facilitate these sort of uh, removals, but they're very messy. And if it's a key person, if it's the person that's the product visionary, where's the company going to go? Mm. What are they going to do? Who's going to lead it? Who has that capability? And oftentimes you see with startups, it's vision driven. There needs to be that roadmap of where it's going. And oftentimes it is the founder that leads it. Ultimately, it may get to a point when it's a bit more mature that you can that you can deal without. But... Nine times out of 10, that product visionary is not replaceable. Now, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong here, but usually when it's this early, it's it's usually a fight between co-founders, not necessarily the board coming in and saying, okay, you're out, we're getting a new person in. Um, if we look back to, let's say, Edward, uh, Facebook, for example, Mark Zuckerberg pushed yeah. out Edward uh, Eduardo Severin, I think that was his name, yeah. Yeah. and that was an internal dispute, right? And yeah. he was pushed out. It was in the board coming in and saying, okay, you're fired. So let's, you know, push, move on over to the role of the board, right? What, what is the role of a startup or company board, especially when the company is innovative and very early? Yeah. So, I mean, people will always say that the board of directors is, is the governance body, but in early stage companies, Governance is important. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be straightforward because I don't want to get in any problems with people that have supported <laughs> me or companies that I support or anyone that's uh, that's going to say that I'm lax on on governance. But in early stage companies, governance is not super complicated to achieve because they're not entirely complicated organizations. OpenAI is much more complicated. Their structure is much more complicated. There's a lot going on there. But when it comes to like early stage boards. Their, their, their primary purpose is to be able to pull that founder from the weeds and bring him back up to the tree level and have those more high-level conversations and figure out where that they can actually drive value. That's the key portion of an early-stage board is how can I help take my network and help you? Um, there's a fantastic book, if, I, if, I, if I'm able to plug it, that's written by one of the best one of the best VCs coming out of out of the US Brad Feld uh, it's the founder field guide uh, startup boards or something along those sort of lines F fantastic book and it basically says that you should really look strategically at how you design your board 
because those board spots are very important. So just because a, a, an investor insists and says, I have to have a board seat, that can actually be dangerous because that person may end up being a drag. Mm. So he referenced, they reference the, the, I can't remember the co-author's name, it references founder as one member, investor as another, and then maybe a couple peer CEOs as independents, as the, like the ideal construction. Generally, doesn't always happen that way. Um, oftentimes, you'll have maybe two or three investors. You'll have maybe one or two of the founders and then maybe an independent in order to get an odd number. Um, but the intent, uh, the ideal scenario is to be more strategically focused on how can these senior execs that have, that are sitting either from peer CEOs or investor, how can we help add value and how can we have actual strategic conversations? Generally speaking, if I'm sitting in a board and all we're doing is talking about financial resorts, it's not, it's not, it's not a fantastic use of time because I should have already read that report. <laughs> and now we're having conversations about how can, how can we, how can we add value to the company and continue to move it forward? Kevin, just to recap a little bit of what you said earlier based on that book by Brad Feld, um, what should what is the ideal composition of a board? Like who should be on it uh, and when should you bring them on? So the founder definitely should be on the board um, and should have strong representation. Oftentimes in boards that I sit on uh, or have been involved in in the past, you'll usually have, say, 40 or 60% of the board composition being the, that founding set. Generally, it's either two or three uh, founders. That reduces over time. But in the early, in the early days, uh, you're having... Maybe the one investor and then an independent that's coming from somebody senior within your space, CEO of some sort of company. Uh, that would be the ideal scenario. And the uh, independent director is someone who doesn't work at the company or isn't invested in an either. Yeah, side. not not executive, not an investor. But if if you if you're focusing on like retail tech, you have CEO of big retail company. Uh, coming in and can kind of give you the the lay of the land and be more strategic value add. For example, in the OpenAI board, I think the former or current Quora CEO is on there. Uh, right. I'm not sure whether he has a he's on the cap table, but he's there uh, seemingly as an independent uh, director. Mm. Um, and as you as you mentioned, um, you know, board seats are sometimes given to shareholders when funds are raised. Although in this situation, although. Uh, Microsoft owns 49% and invested $13 billion. They apparently didn't have a seat at the board. So talk to us a little bit about the why investors uh, have seats at boards, maybe yeah. using today's example as, as an example there, how that's determined because in this situation, Microsoft didn't get a seat at the board. Yeah, so the the the, the open AI example is a little bit funky because the it's the nonprofit board uh, that ended up making this decision. And... Microsoft is involved in the for-profit entity, but the nonprofit has the authority over uh, the for-profit. So there, there's, a, there's a rather complex structure that's associated there. I would imagine based upon what has unfolded, the rebellion against the board, the sign letter of so many employees, if there's not a mass exodus, there's probably going to be some sort of restructuring of that. 
there's a possibility that that nonprofit could end up getting dissolved. I don't, I don't know. That's a possible, that's a possibility, but I imagine that Microsoft is probably going to exert more influence over the entity in the long run. And it would be very funny if Sam Altman as a Microsoft employee <laughs> is the one that's overseeing all of that. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be kind of like one of those like big middle finger moments where he walks back into the room with all of them. It's kind um, of, again, like when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, right? It was through the acquisition of his company then next and then yeah. he becomes the CEO of the company. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think Microsoft CEO Nadella has already made some comments on this, uh, saying that OpenAI's governance needs to change no matter where Sam Altman ends up. This was uh, four hours ago. So mm. uh, some news, some, some things moving around there. And I'm sure when you own half the company that now has key drivers no longer there, you'd yeah. be concerned. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, and, 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 investors yeah. will usually push for it. Um, uh, because it's 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 viewed as a protection of capital to be sitting on the bo- on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's that can be problematic because you have some investors that by default will say, if I'm putting in this check, that I need to be on the board, and they'll add no value to your board. So you're giving away prime real estate on that board. For essentially zero value, so those are those are a bit problematic of investors. I'm I'm not a big fan of that that viewpoint. There needs to be some sort of value provision coming out of those board seats. So if an investor is going to ask for one, in my opinion, I think it is okay for the uh, the company to say that's fine. But you can can you appoint somebody that has value to provide? Uh, to us? Is there somebody close within your network, a venture partner or somebody else, so that it's not just some person uh, that is going to be a problem? And I've also had instances, to be honest with you, where an investor appointee uh, ends up regularly canceling the meetings, and then we don't have a quorum. We can't end up getting anything going simply because this person uh, can't get their schedule straight, or (laughs) I don't know what it is, thinks they're more important than the company. Um, is that typically the dynamic of the relationships we see between startup boards and founders? They're, they can they can operate quite well, but I think the in in my experience, more than is necessary of the instances, maybe half of the time, you have a couple of bad eggs in the bunch that are not that are not treating it with the respect and the functioning that it ought to. This is the the the, entire, the the primary purpose of the board is can we increase the value of the company, and by doing so, it's mostly centered around the value add. You certainly want to make sure that the company is operating effectively in the governance and so forth. But for ninety nine percent of startups out there, there's not a lot of complexity. You can set up an audit committee in order to be able to dig into that. That's relatively relatively easy, and the more mature a company gets, it'll start end up having one. But if you're talking about a company that is in the early days, seed stage, you probably don't need a board. Oftentimes, if 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 I set it up with a company, it's primarily for optics in order to get that sort of like pattern and cadence of doing these sort of things. It's especially good for first-time founders in order to demonstrate some of that. Uh, management know-how, but as you get into the later stages, they become more complex. There's more subcommittees and so forth. Um, but yeah, prob- boards can be problems, and and there's a lot of uh, board members that I wouldn't mind seeing 
uh, tender their resignations as well. Kevin, we'll dive into that a little bit in terms of board selection, but both on the side of the what founders should know before selecting their board members, mm. but also what board members should kind of be aware of before joining startup boards. Folks, on the back of the firing and rehiring of Sam Altman, although at a different company, um, we're exploring the dy- typical dynamics at play between founders and boards and what founders should know about the role and powers of their boards, among other things. Helping me with this has been Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. I'm Roshan Kanesan. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Brewing frothy mocha. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Last Friday, OpenAI's board of directors fired founder and now former CEO Sam Altman. And yesterday, he was he and his team were hired by Microsoft, which owns 49% of OpenAI. And he was, to be clear, hired directly to Microsoft. Now, earlier this morning, the Morning Run explored the news and implication of this with Daniel Ives from Wedbush Securities, which you can find on the website and BFM app. Here on Enterprise, we're taking a different angle and exploring the typical dynamics and importance of founders and their boards and what founders should know about the role and powers of boards, among other things. Helping me with this has been Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. Um, so, Kevin, the official rule, I guess the official statement was that there was a lack of candid or clear communication between Sam Altman and the OpenAI board. Um, whether Whatever how this plays out, whether this is official reasoning or the real reasoning, clearly good communication uh, between founders and board members is important. I'm sure you would agree so as well, given that you invest in startups, mm-hmm. especially given the power a board holds in terms of the governance side of things, but also the power founders hold on a day-to-day basis in operations. So what should this communication look like between founders and boards? Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a really good point because when you're talking about in startups, we have to recognize first and foremost that we're dealing with low information environments because whatever is getting built is new. There's not a precedent and it's relatively short track record in regards to how long the company has been around. So it's it's a, it, there's an information shortage from the get-go. So as information comes in, there needs to be mechanisms in order to get that sort of conveyance of the of the info to to the investors and to the board and so i'm i'm quite encouraging of companies to um, establish monthly newsletters so that at least like the hard data component of it Mm. is getting circulated around as far as on the board level just because you're not having a board meeting doesn't mean that you can't have conversations with those same people now, the cadence will vary depending upon many of these different companies and the type of value provision that the individual uh, investors or board members can provide. But I'm, I'm, I'm of the belief that I, I tell it all the time to my portfolio companies, my job is you. So <laughs> you need to call me up and I am there for you. You are my job. If I stop answering the phone calls for you, then I have problem with the people that have entrusted in me. And so... There's a pretty clear um, correlation between lack of communication and declines in performance of companies. 
when people stop communicating, there must be something under the hood that is going wrong, or there must be something else that is going on that can end up becoming a problem from the viewpoint of the person that's no longer hearing the updates. And so there can be perception aspects that have been at play. And I've certainly been in instances where all of a sudden I'm being ghosted by the founder. <laughs> and so the only thing that I can guess is that the world is blown up and he just doesn't want to tell me bad news. Uh, he or she doesn't want to tell me bad news. And so, but that's, that's the aspect. Like if you've strategically constructed your board to be value add people that are surrounding you, that are essentially an advisory committee, then you need to tell them the good, bad, the ugly, because the only way that they can add value is not just hearing the good news. They need to hear the bad news and they need to hear the ugly news because those are the areas that need solving. Telling me everything sunshine and rainbows doesn't really do anything. What, what am I gonna do to help? <laughs> but if you tell me that there's a problem, I can say, ah, let me introduce you to so-and-so or in past experience, I did this, this, and this. And so if a founder is being communicative, with the investors and with the board, it makes it a lot easier to cross these thresholds. Again, the open AI aspect, I have a feeling that that's just kind of like putting gloss out in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in the press release of what happened. Uh, I, I have a feeling there's a bit more than just communication. I think there was more of a, a disagreement in regards to direction. Yeah, and um, uh, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from that in the in the next days and maybe even weeks. Um, Gavin, the other thing is when we look at board seats, for example, this is often, uh, as we were talking a little bit about earlier, investors like to have seats on boards depending on how much they've invested or how early mm. the company is. So when fundraising, the board seat does have value uh, in that negotiation as a bargaining chip at, at some point. So um, how can founders, I guess, strategically leverage this during investment talks with potential investors? Yeah, so, you know, this is an aspect where you want to find the person that uh, is going to add value onto your board. And you want somebody, you know, for a person to be able to add value on a board, they can't be on 20 different companies because there's just it's just not humanly possible to be able to sit on that many boards and actually be value add contributing to each of them. So there's a little bit of an aspect of understanding who is in that investor's organization and do they have the bandwidth to actually uh, sit on your board and be a value add contributor? There's also an aspect of who's their network? Do they have venture partners that are coming from industry? A lot of VCs have networks of insiders that sometimes get compensation on the back end from the VC. Hmm. And they're oftentimes the kind of the operating partner that can sit on the board. So a little bit of research on the who within the organization and whether they have the bandwidth can equip the founder with the information that they need in order to decide, is this, is, am I willing to give this investor a board seat? Because first and foremost, you need to figure out whether or not you're willing to give a one away. If you're having a, a later stage round where you have two big investors and each of them are asking for it, you may end up having one of those difficult situations of, I can't give away both. Who do I give it to? Let's get them in a room. Let's see if they can come to agreement because ultimately it's an aspect of protection of capital. If it's just tick mark the box, it's probably not the best investor. Kevin, we've covered 
through this conversation, you know, some of the hidden or potential costs of giving up a board seat, maybe too easily or getting the wrong board members on. Um, is, is there anything you'd like to add to this part of the equation? I mean, I, I would look at it from the same lens of like, if you hire a C-level executive as you start growing or somebody in a senior position, the same way that it's hard to reverse some of those decisions, it's even harder to reverse some of the decisions about getting the wrong board member. Because oftentimes what ends up happening, specifically with the investor board member, is that in their contract, it'll give them rights to a point. Now, you may be able to push back on who that individual is, but you won't be able to push back on that right to appoint somebody. So be, just be cautious on getting into those circumstances because you need to be aligned and you need to make sure that there's there's value out that you can get. Be strategic about the who and the why. Kevin, I have two more questions left, but we've got to go into a few messages. So we'll get into that into that in just a little bit. Folks, on the back of the firing of OpenAI founder Sam Altman by the OpenAI board today, we've been exploring the dynamics at play between founders and boards and the importance to of, for founders to understand the role and powers of their boards among other things. Helping me with this has been Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. I'm Roshan Kennison. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Brave, free, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanesan. If you've just joined us last Friday, OpenAI's board of directors fired founder and now former CEO Sam Altman. And just yesterday, Sam Altman and his team were hired by Microsoft directly to the company, which owns 49% of OpenAI after investing $13 billion last year, but or earlier this year. Uh, however, Microsoft has no direct influence over its board of directors. Earlier this morning, the morning run explored this from the market and news implication with Dan Ives from Webbush Securities, uh, which you can find on the website and the BFM app. Here on Enterprise Brisbites, we've been taking a different angle, exploring the typical dynamics between at play between founders and boards and uh, the import, what founders should know about the role and powers of boards, among other things. Helping me with this has been Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures. Um, Kevin, uh, so we've covered, I think, quite a lot of ground when it comes to, I think, the role of boards, the cautionary tales here, um, and also, I guess, the earlier on some of that news around all this and what it means when a co-founder leaves a startup this early, especially something as prominent and innovative as OpenAI. And the key parallel we seem to be drawing to is Steve Jobs and Apple, one of the more bigger ones, although that wasn't as um, abrupt, let's put it that way. Uh, Steve Jobs did come back at the company later, later on, and there seems to be some... Uh, investors at work over at OpenAI trying to get Altman back to uh, OpenAI and Microsoft, based on the news we're seeing, doesn't seem to be um, averse to that. Now, while this is one example of maybe boards being a bit too reactive, on the other hand, um, we've also seen things like, you know, the falls of WeWork, of FTX and Theranos, and the questions then come up about shouldn't the boards have done more? Um, talk to us, I guess, about this dichotomy between that. Yes, we've talked about the founder side of things, but on the board side of things, what should investors and potential board members be aware of before accept, accepting a board seat at a startup? 
So one thing to, to be aware of before accepting a board seat is understanding the liability issues associated with the jurisdiction in which the company is registered. Um, most boards that are a little bit more mature will have DNO insurance, which is directors and officers, so that it will provide some insurance against that liability. But if there's outright fraud, if there's if there's something criminal, then it becomes much more complicated. So there can be some liability issues with being complacent with uh, any wrongdoing. Um, and then when you are on the board, most early stage startups, there's not a lot of complexity. But in order to be able to comment on the strategy, in order to be able to do the value add, you do need to look at the numbers and you do need to kind of dig into some of those. Most times, funny business is pretty easy to be, be seen. If I see that, a, that um, somebody's spending $50 million on a party, or if I see these funny transactions where I'm putting my personal name on the acquisition of this building and then renting it back to the company, you know, a lot of those probably should have been seen but just weren't talked about. Um, so maybe that was the the audit committee's responsibility. Um, maybe that's the the auditor that was in there didn't surface it so that it never made it to those conversations. Um, but most of the funny business that I've seen happen in companies can be seen if you just take a little bit closer of a look to those numbers. And you have to take a closer look at those numbers anyways if you're going to be value-add. So it, it's it's part and parcel of what's going on. So, Kevin, there needs to be, I guess, this balance, right, between a board being maybe, let's put it nicely, too accommodating and mm -hmm. leading to misbehavior and scandals versus being too strict and vigilant, potentially slowing down and, well, strangling innovation. How can founders strike a balance between autonomy and collaboration with their board members to ensure effective governance without compromising innovation? I'm sure this is the multi-billion dollar question. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to give a simple answer, but it's not actually simple to, to execute uh, because the first component of, of it is selecting the right board members. When you're building a startup in the first place, you have discretion over who to allow onto that board and who not. It can spiral away from you as you become a much larger company because there's more interest and you may have not have the, the control that you once had. But a starting point is just being very strategic on who's there in the first place. You don't want to surround yourself with yes men or 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 anything like that. You want people that will challenge you and add value. Uh, but there's the first aspect is is that the second aspect is communication, telling the good, bad, and the ugly, and having those conversations, and not waiting necessarily until the board meeting, but picking up the phone or dropping a WhatsApp or some sort of message to be open and and communicative. Um, that's that's really a secret recipe in order to keep everybody informed and not feel like they're being blindsided if there's some sudden thing within a product or otherwise. Um, so for founders out there, it's really those two aspects can keep you nimble uh, and keep your keep your uh, board and investors happy. Not always easy <laughs> on the second part, the communication, because sometimes it feels like a drag. But if you chose strategically in number one, the people that you're communicating in number two should be delivering value with every one of those conversations and interactions. So it should not feel as if it's time wasted. 
Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Always uh, enjoy nerding out about these kind of things with you. So thank you so much for your time. Very much appreciate uh, coming on and having the conversation and look forward to watching uh, with my popcorn in hand how the rest of the story is going to evolve. I'm sure. Just to steal Dan, uh, Daniel Ives' joke earlier this morning, or Shaoning's joke, uh, I'm sure we'll see a Netflix documentary or an Apple TV documentary out of this in time. Uh, folks, that was Kevin Brocklin, founder and managing partner at Indelible Ventures and director of uh, for the Founder Institute. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my. It should be available in about two hours' time, or you can download the BFM app and find all our shows there, uh, or even on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other major podcast players. Just look up for BFM Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanison. You've been listening to Enterprise Biz Bites. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.